Welcome to another edition of the Sunday Forum right here on WMNF 80.5 Tampa, Sarasota, St. Pete. This is your host, Walter L. Smith II, the voice of the Tampa Bay Area, along with the members of the Fourth Estate Group. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. I'm I'm better. Well, for those of you that have been wondering where I've been, I was sick with COVID, so that's why I wasn't here. (laughs) Yeah, I, I was... Even though I was boosted and vaccinated, yeah, I got it. It was awful. I still can't smell. I lost my sense of smell, actually. Um, I I can only smell if I put it up my nose, and then after that, I can't smell. You gotta put it up your nose. Well, I, okay. <laughs> okay. I put it know. I put it close to my nose, and then after that, I can't smell anything. So that, that's you put it up your nose. That's yeah, probably why I you can't smell. <laughs> you, you, you shoved all this stuff up your nose. Well, yeah, I was the, that's, I guess that's going to be a long-term effect. And then uh, <clears throat> I, f- I also feel like uh, something's been stuck in my throat. So it's, it's, a, it's a long process. It was, but I'm 100% better than I was before. So. And, and you've been vaccinated. I have. Well, I've been boosted, too. I've had two booster shots. Right. So, yeah. Uh, but it was bound to happen because, I mean, I work in healthcare and then... I got it because my father had it, but he didn't know he had it. He thought he had the flu, and he refu- or actually he thought he had allergies. And he refused to go to the doctor, and so right. And it went to to my mom, then it went to me, and there. but I had it the so worst cool. because it was it was, yeah, 
it was awful. The symptoms were just terrible, but I'm just glad that it wasn't real, real serious, and I, I got through it, so... That sucks, man. Yeah, it did. On isolation for two weeks. And, yeah. Well, hey, but you're here. I am, and I'm better, and I'm, I'm, it's, it's good, so. All right, all right, cool. Yeah. You know Dee's going to call, right? Who? Dee's going to call. Oh, yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, I heard him last week. Hey, Mr. Miko, (laughs) how you doing? (laughs) You're going to call him this morning, because he, boy, he loves you, boy. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yeah, hopefully he calls because the the last time I was here he he didn't call. So, yeah. yeah y'all got y'all got something going on. <laughs> y'all got something going on. No, I, listen. Um, let me let me tell you. Um, we're glad to have you back. Glad to be back. Um, God bless you, and, you. Your, and your family. Thank you. Uh, let me tell you, folks. We we had a. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how I feel this morning. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm being upbeat. Okay. Being upbeat. Mm-hmm. Um. There, there's there's a lot to unpack this morning. A lot to unpack. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> and I, let me start by saying this. I want to dedicate today's show to my dear friend, our dear friend, uh, Eddie Adams. Junior, who just passed away uh, this past Thursday. Uh, Eddie was a member of this board, mm-hmm. one of the founding uh, members of the board um, that helped to get this building that we're in right now, WMNF, and one of the biggest supporters that we have, we have had for this show, the Sunday Forum. And one of the biggest supporters of WMNF as well, who believed in the mission of this public radio entity. Um, some people, um, you know, were, were critical of Eddie because of the fact that he was a black Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's no need to be critical of such a thing. I've always, I've always had the attitude that we need to participate in uh, politics from both sides right. of the aisle. Whether we agree or disagree, there needs to be a black presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Eddie was that was that presence. We didn't always agree mm-hmm. on everything, but we remained friends. Did Girl. he call in here? Now, have I, just, I talked he to just him? Call, he called in just last week. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah, he called in last week. Okay. And, <clears throat> you know, well, anyway, he had a, a radio show on our uh, on, on one of our local stations on WTMP mm-hmm. called Porch Talk with Eddie Adams. And it was a valuable radio show because it gave us perspective. Uh, some people didn't see it that way. Yeah. Um, because it was conservative in nature. Mm-hmm. However, it did give us perspective if you were to open your mind to listen, right? Mm-hmm. And challenge even the things that were being presented if you wanted to challenge them. And he welcomed that which is one of the things I always respected about Eddie is the fact that he always challenged those things that, um, or open, he was always open to the challenge of whatever was being presented, either from him or someone else. But he always did it in a way that was, that was uh, respectful. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is something that I think uh, was in a, a good example to sit. Yeah. Because not a lot of people are like that. No. Not a lot of people are like that. Um, And and if he believed in it, Eddie Adams was going to stand on it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. But his challenge was always open to the point that he would... listen to what you said. Stand on his position, challenge it, 
And that what you said made sense. Clearly, he was open to being conciliatory, right, and conceding the point. Mm -hmm. If it was a point, and, and, and even understanding that you, there was a common ground that we could stand on, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, and those things that he that we believed did not need to be did not need to be politicized. He did not politicize it. He did not politicize it, and you know I, I respected and loved Eddie. Dearly, love Eddie dearly, and, and uh, um, my condolences to his wife and family and, and children. Um, Eddie was uh, Eddie was a biologist um, and an architect, okay. literally, and um, so he had a lot of different. That wore a lot of hats, a lot of hats. Eddie wore a lot of hats. Was on a lot of boards. I served with uh, with Eddie on a couple of boards, and um, he was very active and always thoroughly immersed in whatever it was that he was involved in. Um, but it was a shock. It was a shock. Certainly, certainly a shock when I. When I found out about it, I, my hands were shaking, like literally, because it was it, it hit me like a bag of rocks. Because I just spoke with him, mm -hmm. I just spoke with him, only a couple of days before this happened. Mm -hmm. um, I won't go into the detail out of respect for the family. I won't go into detail or anything else because, of course, I, I don't know all there is to know about it. But I will say. Again, um, my condolences publicly to uh, the family and my prayers and my love and my heart go out goes out to uh, the Adams family uh, and all those closest to Eddie um, for his loss, for, for our loss. And, and believe me, when I say... It's a loss. It's a serious loss and a blow to our community. Um, you know, real champion, a real champion for us. You know, um, again, I say, you know, it doesn't matter what your belief system is in terms of in terms of politics and so forth. Uh, this show is dedicated to Eddie Adams. So. Um. All right. Yeah. So, <laughs> mm. wow, my the hair on the back of my neck is standing up right now because I'm still, I'm I'm literally, literally still, um, digesting this information. So anyway, anyway, all right. So yeah. last uh, this past week, we also um, lost. I, I said we lost. Uh, the Queen of England has passed away. Yes. Uh, known for being, number one, being the longest reigning monarch mm -hmm. um, in the world. That has been in dispute very well, I mean, recently. She, oh, okay. Well, very she recently. started at age 20, right? 20 right. or 21 is when she was... Um, when she ascended to the crown, mm -hmm. to the throne. Yeah. And, uh, but, so here's the flip side of that, okay? There's no real, you know, in terms of popularity, let's just start with that. In terms of popularity, uh, and, and we'll discuss that partly today. Okay. Um, with regard to colonial. Yeah, she went all over. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So, in, in the largest, she ruled over the largest number of colonies mm -hmm. in the world, right? Yeah. And the and while she was not the person who established those colonies, mm -hmm. it was her predecessor. Um, and her, actually her mother and grandmother 
who were <laughs> and great grandmother um, and grandfather who were responsible for ruling over, conquering, establishing, murdering, trading, uh, and subsequently, uh, you know, putting in position uh, and subjugating hundreds of that millions of people, uh, hundreds of countries, and putting them in such a state that they were reliant uh, on the crown. Right? Yeah. And when you say, and the thing about, the, the thing about it is, is that when you say the crown, Literally, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That's how, that's how extensive, yeah. or monumental, it yeah, is. And monumental and extensive that actually was and, and is mm-hmm. even today. Yes, yeah. after the death of this, uh, after the death of the queen. When somebody said the queen, everybody knows who you're talking about. Everybody knows who you're talking about. Yep. Okay. Now there are those who. We'll talk about it later on. We'll talk about it later on in 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 the, in the course of the, of the day. But we're going to have the conversation this morning, and we're going to take that and we're going to do a comparative analysis, if you will, of that colonial mindset, the global colonial mindset that was actually established under the crown. Mm-hmm. The positives and the negatives. There are some positives, right? Yeah, there's definitely negatives. Strangely, strangely enough, there are some positives. Uh, and some might say, "Well, what do you mean positive?" Walt? Well, there there are some positives, and we're going to talk about those as well, uh, because you know some standards were established, some some uh, movements were established, mm-hmm. right? that need to be established in order to mobilize people, right? And we're going to talk about some of those things uh, as we as we move on uh, throughout the, through the course of the show. Okay, now, uh, this is it's important to point, well, point it out. Last night, Onyx Magazine, which is a black-owned magazine out of Orlando, Florida, uh, actually had its Mountain Movers uh, Award of Excellence that was given to um, several black males. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were ten uh, that were that were award that was awarded to last night in Orlando. Uh, I was in attendance along with my son, and uh, we got dressed up and drove and escorted the Order of the Eastern Star. Uh, chapter Miss Ann Jenkins uh, and her sisters. We all drove over to in a, in a van. <laughs> we all drove over there to Orlando, and we uh, in support of these people who were get who got these awards. And let me tell you, it was a well deserved you know well deserved uh, award. Uh-huh. Um, many people don't know. And many people do. There are people who do know about Onyx Magazine. I, I do say, I, I'm going to say it on this show because it needs to be said, and that is uh, I'm going to encourage people to go out and actually get Onyx Magazine. Seek it out, subscribe, and support Onyx Magazine. I don't care. They can come back and they can get me later on for having said it. I don't give a damn. I'm saying it here today on this show. Support Onyx Magazine. Just like you support uh, that mess in Time Life and everywhere else, you know. And I'm, I shouldn't say mess, but you know, you know, Time Life and and all this National Geographic. No, support your black publications, and especially support Onyx Magazine, one of the biggest supporters in terms of publications and black journalism that's out there today. Uh, that supports HBCUs, that supports black news which is something that has been oppressed and suppressed for generations. Yet, it has always been the voice of our people. 
consistently. And subsequently, it has been the voice of people of color beyond, beyond just the black community. And they can always take a look at what was going on in our communities because of the of black publications like Onyx Magazine and understand and establish standards for which uh, uh, they can move and mobilize within their own communities. So, yes, uh, let me tell you right now, Onyx Magazine, get it. Seek it out, get it, subscribe, and support Onyx Magazine. Um, shout out to D. Chanel Reed, uh, the <coughs> assistant executive publisher mm-hmm. of the magazine. And, um, you know, I, I just honestly support it. Support it, absolutely support the magazine. Okay, so now, uh, we... I, the strangest thing, i got to say this is one of the strangest, um, we are now in the month of September, right? Yeah, we are. Do you know one of the strangest damn things I've ever known is Hispanic History Month? No, I, I didn't. I thought it was a damn month. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, hey, let me tell you something. Okay, I'm going to just talk, call like it is to my brothers and sisters out there. You know, man, we got February, right? Mm-hmm. White folks gave us February. <laughs> but, <laughs> but how about, so <laughs> it's supposed to be from August, I think, from, from August to September, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know this thing stretches almost from, <laughs> from August right into like October? Or you know December. I don't. We don't even know what the end of this uh, this thing is, which is a good thing, truthfully. Yeah. I, I actually, I, you know, it's cool. <laughs> How you gonna call it a month? And it, I've never. I don't even know. I don't know. I I know around about where it begins, right? Yeah. But I do not know when it ends. Which, like I said, that's a good thing. Yeah. But it's just the strangest thing I've ever heard. Right. It's Hispanic History Month. In breve, in Telemundo. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, so, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, and, and I'm in great, you know, <laughs> to all my Hispanic brothers and sisters out there, and to my dear wife, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we joke, we have been known to joke about it in my own household. But it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen, ever. Uh, but shout out to my Hispanic brothers and sisters out there <laughs> for, getting, for getting the month that is more than a month. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's cool to me. That's all right with me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I got to say, one of my uh, my thesis work in my, my first master's degree, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in my first master's degree was in Africana Studies, which we talk about quite a bit. <coughs> not about my first master's degree. Right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but about Africana <laughs> Studies, right? And uh-huh. cultural studies, the importance of cultural studies. Yeah. Uh, and so in doing that, um, we have defended the the importance of that. We have been proponents of the of the study of black history, especially uh, because and, and from and from the pan Africanist standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Not just Black America, but the pan Africanist standpoint. And that is a very critical point, especially when it comes to Hispanic uh, Hispanic history. Why is that? Um, the reason for that is because when all those ships came across that water, I want you to imagine, if you will, how many ships were passing each other on that sea in the transatlantic slave trade, right? Um, in the course, during the course of the slave trade, how can you imagine? It's just like, it was almost like, here's the reality of it. It was almost like, Going on I four, right? Mm-hmm. You had that many ships that were out there on the waters. It was a commercial. It was a commercial thing. It wasn't just one ship on the water 
whatever it is, quite often they passed each other, right, mm. with cannons ready to go at any <clears throat> moment in order to steal your cargo or sink your ship, right? Because there were enemy combatants, right? Yet there was a mutual, most evil and nefarious thing I've ever heard in my life, but it's the truth. The Ill-Gotten Gains, there's a movie out called Ill-Gotten Gains, right? And they talk about the issue of slavery. Uh, and, and, And when they talk about the history of slavery and the historiography, the history of slavery, there is a difference. The history of slavery is one thing because that is a story that's told from the perspective of the, of the, of the champions, the one who won, right? White people. And usually when I say white people, I mean white males, mm-hmm. right? That's usually what the perspective is. When we look at how it was told, why it was told, it was so that that perspective was the prevailing perspective historically, which is, which is the historiography, how it's written, how it's written, okay? We, it, it is very important, and it wasn't until about 1899 uh, when we get the story from our beloved W.E.B. Du Bois who had written the very first, the very first accounts, historical accounts and research that were actually publicized for the purposes of establishing some history regarding this issue. Uh, What's the importance of that, you might say? Well, you know, it led to further studies regarding the slave trade, right? And and as we move along with that scholarship, and, and people understand, scholarship and being a student are two different things, right? Being a scholar and being a student are two different things. And as we talk about this and, and we discover and we recognize and we appreciate what, what that means, we appreciate it because there is an expanse not an expense, but there's an expense, an expansion of the the study um, of, of Africana studies and the study of these issues. And we have to have a very healthy, healthy discussion and respect for that discussion as we talk about Africana studies, as we talk about cultural studies, because it sets the pace and it sets the tone for um, opening up the very the various dimensions of of subjects like the slave trade. Do you know how expansive that is? I, you know, as a, as one who's a scholar of, of of that, it's not just that. It's not just. Okay, well, there's some some ships that are moving across this thing. You you have to open your mind and, and and actually put yourself in that time period to actually appreciate uh, how it looked, what it was, and why it was so important. And I really got to understand it when I was studying this thing with my son uh, Walter, <clears throat> as and coincidentally. He actually attended a Catholic school where, where there was a discussion about the Silk Roads. And when we talk about the Silk Road, we're talking about the beginning of international trade as we know it today, right? But we're talking about ancient times up until now. When they began, began transatlantic slave trade or transatlantic trade, not just the slave trade, but transatlantic trade. It wasn't the first time that slaves had been uh, transported from one country to another. That happened for, that's been happening for centuries, millennia, right? But the largest number of people, the largest number was that transatlantic trade. And they ended up primarily 
in the largest number, in Latin America. In Latin America. People are talking about, well, you know, in, in North America, we have, well, yeah, yeah, that's right. And when they talk about black people, um, yeah, we got a bunch here, right? Uh, but you also had them in Latin America, our brothers and sisters in Latin America, which is why you have so many people who are walking around Latin America, Latin America with curly hair and many features that are they're, they're light-skinned black people. That's what they are. That are that, and, and in many countries, as a matter of fact, the, I venture to say the predominant numbers of the, and matter of fact, it's not the venture, it's the truth. 88% of people that are walking around Brazil, which is the largest country in South America, 88 to 85 to 88% of those people are what we would consider to be black people. It's true. Prevailing religions and practices and things like that um, in, in, in room, uh, include uh, uh, people who practice Western African traditions uh, with regard to Yoruba, Santeria, um, uh, Cumbia, and things like that that are practiced right there. Similar, similar practices are practiced right there in Brazil, in places like Bahia, uh, La Provincia, we, call, we say in Spanish, La Provincia, uh, um, Bahia, Del Mar, um, Hill, Rio, you know, and different, uh, we, some people might call them shanties, but they refer to them as favelas in, in uh, Brazil. And they would get black people, like, the, 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 the actual age was what the, the the actual age limit when people I mean age limit right that's mm-hmm. a horrible term. that's a horrible thing to say 21 21 and because of the geography people could actually get in a ship just like you get in, in your car go outside in the parking lot get in the car and go pick somebody up and come back they would actually go it was so close to Africa to the Congo they could actually get in there in the ship, go and go pick up slaves from the from the Congo, raid raid uh, places. And there's a movie that's coming out actually, come uh, to give you an idea of it. People would go into the interior and come back out and actually set up. If you go along the coastline, you'll see islands where they have uh, forts where they would take people and put them in the forts and actually. Uh, um, enslaved them, bring them, put them on the ship, and bring them back. It was literally trade. To show you how nefarious it is, it was these people were used up until they were nineteen or twenty-one years old, and they would die. Killing these people was nothing to the Portuguese or the Spanish. It was absolutely nothing to kill these people. Absolutely nothing. Why? Because they just use them up, lose a hand or whatever it is. Right, we gotta go get some more. Go to Africa, go pick them up, bring them back, and do it again. That's how that's how it functions, right? But anyway, that was a long explanation. Long explanation. But I think it's I think it's a worthy discussion. I think it was a worthy thing to say to discuss. But uh, uh, this morning, uh, we're going to uh, talk about, and we have guests. In the studio, right? <laughs> yes. Um, and I want our first guest to introduce herself, so that we can we can go and we can talk about um, our first historical points coming out of. Um, well, I'm not even going to introduce. It. I'm going to let her introduce it. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, I don't want to take. I don't want to steal her thunder. <laughs> okay. But we want to make sure that, that you are listening, folks. You want to call in, you can. Uh, 813-239-9663. This morning we are dedicating this show to our dear friend, uh, Eddie Adams, who passed last Thursday and uh, his memory. And let him know, Eddie, we love you, brother. We miss you. Uh, and we love you. So uh, we are going to uh, listen to this young lady as she is going to share with us in honor of and recognition of Hispanic History and Hispanic Heritage Month. Month, right? Okay. Month. Yeah, <laughs> <God>, duh. <laughs> Way to go, Hispanic folk. Way to go. We- 
Y'all got, y'all got a month, but y'all got more than a month. Where you go, man? Where you go? You got it. You got it. Catch on, folks. We got to do this thing. We got to do this. Black History 365. Come on, y'all. Let's do it. Let's get it. So today, how are you doing, man? You all I'm, right? I'm doing all right. Thank you for asking. Yeah. How are you doing today? Doing well. Doing well. She's been sitting here. Please introduce yourself to everybody, please. <laughs> Uh, hi, I'm Laura Rodriguez. I've been in Tampa for a little bit, moved down here for college, and mm-hmm. have gotten um, active in the organizing areas in Tampa uh, with Tampa Bay Community Action Committee. And um, I am Colombian myself on my dad's side and Puerto Rican on my mom's side. So all right, all right, all right. <laughs> getting into politics is how I hear in the mainland, as they say, get in touch. <laughs> all right, so Puerto Rican on your mom's side, right? Uh-huh. And your dad's side? Colombian. Colombian. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I see the curly hair. I see mm-hmm. what's up. I see mm-hmm. what's up. We see that little African influence. <laughs> uh, I know you got some cousins out there. I do. You shake that tree a little bit, right? <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lord, tell us, tell us uh, what you want to present this morning. And, and I, I got to say, I love it. I love it. All right, this morning I'm going to be talking about the recently elected vice president of Colombia, who is an Afro-Latina, Francia Elena Marquez Mina. Uh, She was born December 1st in 1981 and is a Colombian human rights activist, uh, lawyer, and as I said, the current vice president. And she was born in Yolamba, located in the Suarez municipality of the Department of Excuse my pronunciation. I've only ever seen this written and never pronounced. Um, Cauca? It's okay. It's all right. Um, So she became an activist at 13 when a construction of a dam threatened her community. um, And after taking office, she became the first Afro-Colombian vice president in the country's history, which is pretty sick. Um, considering the sheer amount of Afro-Colombians. Um, uh, and she's also the second woman to hold the post after Marta Luisa Ramirez. Um, in 2018, she was awarded an International Environmental Prize for her work to stop illegal gold mining in her community of La Toma for her, for her community organizing. Um, this is also due to the fact that she has her father is a miner and she's very much aware of the conditions that they face and just the sheer history of mining in Latin America, which was started um, when the Spanish Empire made all the indigenous people. And it's talked about in the book. I um, uh, can't remember the name right now. <laughs> but uh, the book that I believe the president of Venezuela handed to Obama. Oh, the open veins of Latin America. There we go. <laughs> where it talks explicitly about the hardships that indigenous people faced in the mines and how it was and continues to be the most dangerous thing to do. Um, So that direct account and like familiarity made her become an organizing because there was no other way to make her life and her family's life and her community's life better. Um, And Marcus has also led protests of a march of uh, women who trekked uh, to, to the capital of Bogota to demand that the workers in their community are put first. And in 2019, the BBC included uh, Francia Marquez on their list of the 100 most influential and inspiring women of the year. Um, like I said, her parents are minors and her m- mother is also a farmer and midwife. Uh, Marquez is a technical agricultural graduate in 2020 and she obtained a law degree from the University of Santiago de Cali. And so her credentials are astounding, especially for all the work and organizing that she's done, which a lot of uh, our leaders can't say they've ever (laughs) organized for the people, Um, jumping from law firm, corporate law firm to corporate law firm. Anyways, from 1994 to 1997, Marquez participated in the defense of the Ovejas River, a significant water source for her community. Companies such as Union Venosa 
plan to divert the river toward the Salvagina hydroelectric dam. Her community succeeded in preventing the project, which would have ultimately led to a lot of people getting um, contaminated water like we're seeing in Flint, like we're seeing in Mississippi, and how with Pure we might see in Tampa with the lack of standards there. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Which we will be talking about today. Yes, you see, did I see? I just, I just want to point this out. Let me interject this point. You know, what did we say? What did we say? Huh? What did we say? We we are a very all-encompassing show. <laughs> okay? And this is evidence of, I didn't make this up. You know, Ms. Rodriguez here, just pointing it out. Because our next guest, after this is, after this is done, we're going to talk about that, that issue about water quality, right? And the importance. Again, you know... All these things affect people who are not just underserved but forgotten. People who there's no transparency with. There's a global, a global type of thing mm-hmm. that happens that goes unrecognized, right? And the importance of these groups and the importance of your involvement in these groups or even establishing your own group. For your voice to be heard, my God, this is this is so important, so important. This is a black woman who is now the vice president of one of the most controversial countries in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Very, very important information. Who was chosen for that role for very important reasons. We've discussed Colombia many, many times on this show, and and the history, and and the black history, that cannot be ignored when you talk about its the, the implications of the importance of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you talk about extraction of gold uh, and mining processes, and people who who establish agricultural. Um, agricultural means by which to survive that suffered at the hands of uh, of businesses, multi you know multinational businesses that were allowed to go in under corrupt governments. Um, no, you can't ignore that. Mm-hmm. You take that same. Con- does that sound familiar? <laughs> does anybody? Does that make sound? Does that, does that sound familiar to anybody? Right. It's just from one extreme to the next, right? Our communities are colonized. Our people are colonized. And when you look at trans, when you look at, when you look at the transparency issue, that means something's being forced down your throat. Uh, and you're told this is what's going to happen. This is what's coming down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Not how would you like, how would you like to, to know about this? Because we need to know whether this is going to work or not before we even try to do mm-hmm. something like this. You know, we need your input to even know whether this is something that you want, right? Instead of shoving it down your throat and saying, this is going to happen, we just want you, we just want you to know this is what's going to happen so you'll understand it. No, that sounds nice. That's not, there's so much wrong with, with, with that as we unpack it and said before, we're going to talk about it today. But her... Involvement as as now the president, I'm sorry, the vice president of the country is very very important. Right, it's the first step into communities who have been um, honestly just like controlled, like you were saying, of having ideas shoved down their throat. It's their first major major step into taking control over their own lives to decide whether or not which what things they learn, what things they want for their communities. And it's like just a truly important step and something uh, like we here can learn from and whatnot. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so other companies such as Anglo Gold, Ashanti, which intended to mine the gold in the region, threatening the river's cleanliness with the use of mercury. Like what? <laughs> Literally what decade are we in? Um, <laughs> began to invest in the community by building roads and donating school supplies. Marquez she like recalls that some of the community members were 
appreciative of the company's like quote unquote generosity, but others were suspicious and rightly so because nothing comes for free. They must have an ulterior motive. Um, there was already talk of another mining project and she said that they listened to our elders and we said no to Anglo Gold. And the, the company responded by like delivering leaflets to communities, by like trying to shove down like harmful and oftentimes wrong information to the community to get them to um, ha- like profit off of this place. Um, there's so much. There's so <laughs> much. Oh, my God. If you just, if you're listening this morning on the Sunday forum, if, if you're listening to this show right now, unbelievable. If you can't, if this does not sound familiar to you in any way, if this doesn't sound familiar to you in any way, you are not true. If you're a politician, I challenge anybody <laughs> to call into this show right now. You, If you're a politician and you don't see the the the, the parallels to what's being established, what's being read right now, you are so blind. Please leave politics forever. Don't ever come back to politics, please. <laughs> Right, recently I read wow. <laughs> like, wow. a book about mm. mining history in the South here in the U.S. Oh and Alabama, and the parallels are so similar how those miners would just be so reliant on the company that they worked for because the company designed it that way. Unbelievable. So, so like I said, they were deli- delivering leaflets to residents' homes. They were threatening <laughs> eviction, which, hello, hello, we're seeing here in Tampa. Um, and during the previous presidency's invitation to international mining companies to extract natural resource in Columbia increased. They were death squads. <laughs> they were sending death squads out to villages for crying out loud. This is not the, like, oh, okay, all right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting emotional. I'm getting emotional here. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead, please. Continue. In 2009, Marquez helped lead protest against uh, attempts by the government to evict Afro-Colombians, especially artisanal miners from their ancestral lands near the home, near the town of La Toma. Um, the Interior Ministry had granted companies so thankful for that. Um. And, 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 and let me point something out because this is very important because they did what now? Say that again. The Interior Ministry had granted companies such as Anglo Gold Ashanti. But what did they do to the Afro-Colombians. Um, undermine them consistently. Because of where they lived. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did, did you hear that? Did you hear the term? Do, do you, does somebody hear the term redlining? Mm-hmm. In that? Anybody, anybody recognize that by definition? That's what it is. That's where these people were placed in Colombia. They were placed there. They were, the, they were left there, abandoned there, so to speak, right there post-slavery. Mm-hmm. Right, and this is where these people learn to live with the indigenous people in order to in order to do what establish what we call greenways, but sustainable ways of extracting gold. Mm-hmm. Extracting gold, mercury, mercury is one of those ways of actually producing, right, and refining that gold as it is being, as it were to actually extract and have the gold that's there ready for sale on the market in its purest form, right? But they figured out a way to do it so that it wasn't destructive, mm-hmm. right? But you got these people that go in there and they use mercury, not just use it any kind of way and just screws up everything, right? Contaminates stuff and, and, and then they use, you know, got greedy, and what they do, they send the death squads in, get these people off the land, because now it's important to the aristocratic uh, groups or upper-level groups that quite often are uh, what we would consider to be white Hispanics uh, that would come in, take the land, and then knock them off. because Not just because they just want the gold, but literally because these are black people. Mm-hmm. Same attitude, same attitude, same things. It's, 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 you know, same story. Right. They specifically put them in a place that they know that they can move them around whenever they feel like it, whenever it's necessary to move them around and whatnot, which is, you know, here in the U.S. we can see that with all the majority, like, 
black residents' houses are near the industry fields. Like we can see it here in Tampa, and that's why they have one of the highest like asthmatic rates in the country. But anyways, <laughs> um, so. Like I was saying, the Interior Ministry had granted companies such as Angle Gold the right to mine in the Goldfur area without consulting the residents. Marquez, along with a lot of uh, members of the Community Council of La Toma, filed a lawsuit challenging the decision. During this time, several family members of the committee received death threats. Paramilitary groups subsequently targeted the community, killing several miners on the riverbanks, um, Marquez prevailed when the Constitutional Court ruled in her community's favor. And in 2019, uh, Marquez became a legal representative for Afro-Colombias in La Toma. She also took part in the Permanent Assembly of Afro-Colombians in Gauca, who advocated for the National Land Agency to protect Afro-Colombian-owned territory. On the 23rd, March 22, she accepted the nomination for vice president on the ticket of the historic PAC, joining Gustavo Petro. Marquez's role as the vice president includes bolstering justice through the Ministry of Equality for ethnic groups and regions facing exclusion. In early May 2022, Marquez accused the United States and the U.S. ambassador to, to Colombia, Philip Goldberg, of attempting in, to interfere with the elections. And we know with the history of what's happened in Latin America and U.S. involvement, especially CIA involvement, that she's probably right. <laughs> and and it's honestly really rich for the U.S. to say about um, uh, interference in the elections when they constantly put down people such as Stacey Abrams, who's getting, um, like, fighting against voter suppression in the black belt. And even here in Florida, how... We in 2018 voted for felons to get their constitutional right to vote back, but then all of these restrictions are coming up that we don't want that takes away their right to vote. And we know that uh, the U.S. justice system doesn't always uh, do what's right here and convicts many innocent um, and especially innocent black people. Mm. Ooh, we're not sent. Listen. <laughs> We're not saying you're racist. We're saying the people who know you say you're racist. Sound familiar? I have a question. This lady uh, that, you're, that you're mentioning, what's her name? Sorry. Whose name? The, the, the lady that you're talking about. What's her name? Oh, uh, Francia Marquez. Yes. What is she doing today as far as, is she still um, do, doing all this stuff that you're talking about right now? Yeah. So as the like vice president and mm -hmm. just her history, she's participating in... Um, peace talks here, um, which will allow for Colombians to have like essentially self-determination and kind of get out of this underhanded involvement that the U.S. and other countries are trying to like push in. So um, let's see. Sorry, I lost yeah, my They're trying to impose... <laughs> They're trying to impose on um, on on indigenous people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And 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 again, here we are. You know, if you can't see this, if you cannot see this, as and I'm sorry, folks, as we're going to um, the end of the first hour of the first half hour, first hour, excuse me, of the show. Yeah. Um, and NPR you know, will be coming up. NPR is coming up at 8.59 in the morning, 8.59, this beautiful Sunday morning. I mean, beautiful Sunday morning as we dedicate this show to our brother, uh, uh, Eddie Adams uh, Jr. and his passing, 